All right, if you need an outline, and what did I do with mine? There it is. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to just take the next several weeks here, Lord willing, and go through uh, the book of Philippians, uh, one of the shorter of Paul's letters uh, to the city, to the church in the city of Philippi. And uh always get Philippians and Filipino mixed up for some strange reason, but uh, uh, it's got a lot of P's in there, and so we work that out. But uh, the book of Philippians, and it is a book, uh, Paul's most intimate, really, and um, just a, a very close letter to a church that he had a lot with, a lot of fellowship with, did not get to spend very much time there. And so, uh, what we're going to do tonight is just kind of get a little bit of background information. And uh, we find that uh, Paul here is going to make uh, many references. If you'll skip down to verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palaces and in all other places. So, Paul is already in Rome. He was in prison for two years in Caesarea Philippi. And then he was in prison in Rome for some time. And so, uh, most people like to put the writing of this book around 60 A.D. And if you want to argue the dates, well, be my guess, but uh, written by Paul after he had been uh, in Rome. He was awaiting uh, for his judgment. And if we skip down to verse 20, uh, um, it, it says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, in nothing I shall be ashamed, Uh, But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, that this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. For I am in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of the faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And so you can see the words that Paul is writing he, he has no idea which way this could go. He understands that he is on trial and could require his very life. It could be uh, uh, judged a capital crime. But do you see a lot of worry in the words that he just wrote? He said, I have a desire to be with Christ, but I also have a desire to be in the flesh and to be ministering. He said, and having the confidence that my presence is going to be more beneficial to you than my death, he said, I'm I'm hoping to see you again. That doesn't sound like somebody who is in despair 
Oh, woe is me. And, and of course, if you know anything about the life of Paul, he spent a lot of time in jail. Somebody said he took a tour uh, every jail in Greece and other places that he went. And he didn't get everyone, but uh, he certainly had more than his fair share, did he not? And uh, as Paul is going through these things, we're going to find out that really the theme of the book of Philippians is not just keep going. It's more like the songs we sang. It is joy, it is glory just to walk with Him and looking forward to heaven. And this we get more than many of the other books that, or letters that Paul wrote. Here we get a look into what's really going on inside the Apostle Paul and the way that our Christianity ought to be. To have, be able to have that confidence. He said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How many of you have been depressed with all of the news stories all around? Uh, I'll tell you what, it just gets you down a little bit sometimes. And, and uh, I was listening uh, as we've been working over at Union, sometimes a little late, was just listening to one commentator and... and he was saying that uh, he was actually commending our president for his uh, the things that are going on in North Korea, our response. He said this is the most th- uh, the best uh, process, and I'm sitting here, wow, I haven't heard anything like this. And then he said, well, the news media is spinning it all around backwards, trying to make it like our president's trying to start a war, and nothing could be further from the case. Only in the news media's mind. Now, that's what I heard on the radio, and I'm sitting here going, wow, somebody actually said something positive uh, for a change. And, and so, we, we need to be careful. We need to listen to what's going on around us, and we need to get our eyes off the reasoning of men and put it on what the Lord has called us to do. We have, we have things to get accomplished. We have service to do. And that's what Paul is doing even though he is in a a jail cell. And uh, I love verse 12. We just need to touch on this just a little bit. But I would that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Paul is understanding that in spite of what we would call adverse circumstances, in spite of the fact that he has now been incarcerated maybe somewhere in the period of four years, he says, God is still in control, and my ministry is actually more fruitful now than it was uh, than it was in the past, that the gospel is going forward. And uh, one of the things that Paul had time to do now that he was uh, in prison was we've gotten a huge portion of our Bible written, including this book of Philippians. How many of you have ever been discouraged and read, just read some verses out of the book of Philippians and got in, gotten encouragement? I mean, this is God's plan and Paul is understanding that God has uh, is still in control. Now I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 16, if you would. 
as we try to get the context for the book of Philippians. If you turn on certain radio stations or television, uh, it's called Christian television, but really all it does is say, listen, if you want a new car, you just got to yell loud enough. If you... Uh, if you're sick, it's because you have a faith problem. And we read through here in the book of, uh, of Acts in chapter 16, and we'll find out that Paul had some very terrible things happen to him in the will of God. God was in control. And fortunately, Paul was spiritual enough so allow God to still be in control. Uh, I hope you're not one of those that when something bad happens, it's, oh my God. It's probably more your fault than it is His fault. Could we say amen to that? Uh, I mean, we don't need to blame God. God was in control. Now look here. As this is what we call the Macedonian call in verse 9. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And uh, I remember thinking, uh, as, as reading this passage many years ago, how did he know that the guy was Macedonian? Well, just read a little further. This is real deep, my friend. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, what does us mean? Us includes me now, doesn't it? So, uh, you know, I'd had all these visions that maybe the apparel of Macedonians was different than others, but it really probably wasn't. It was the fact that Luke is writing here and the guy said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so Luke's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, of course, very simple. You know, sometimes we get in trouble searching for deep things in the Bible when all we have to do is just read the text and everything is so very plain. You know, one of the things I found is as we search for deep things, it's often because we are looking for some type of, uh, the actual word would be subterfuge, uh, some type of distraction to keep us from doing the things that we know we ought to be doing. Has anybody ever had that problem? Uh, I mean, most of us will find ourselves there at one time or another. Keep it simple. Look for the thing. Paul had a vision. The man was obviously Macedonia because he said, come into Macedonia and help us. And if you read the preceding verses, it says that Paul was in a point where he just did not know where to go and he had a vision. And I remember sitting in Bible college and we were going over this in pastoral theology and one of the students raised his hand and said, why don't we get visions today? And uh, the professor, being a very simple man, said, Because you're not the Apostle Paul, that's why. And uh, I thought that was pretty good. Now, you don't need visions today because we go back to that same theme. We're not taking care of what's written down. You take care of what's written down and God will take care of the other things. 
How many of you remember that from discipleship class? It's so simple. You let the Bible make your decisions for you. Paul did not have what we have today. And so God had to give him a vision to give him that direction. And how many of you know all the good things that happened to Paul in the city of Philippi? I mean, they met Lydia and... She became a, uh, she got saved and became a disciple and they had some people there were going and, but there were a lot of bad things that happened in the city of Philippi, weren't there? And so let's, let's, uh, follow right on down through here. They came and, uh, we, we come to verse 12 and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Now, this is a verse that you need a little bit of the cultural understanding in order to get what was really being said here, they were in the city certain days. What was Paul's standard operating procedure? He would find the Jewish synagogue and he would attend synagogue several Sabbath days and then he would begin preaching the gospel. Well, why didn't he do that in Philippi? Well, it's very simple. There wasn't one. There was no synagogue there. Now, in the Jewish tradition, when there were not enough men to have a quorum, to have a synagogue, what they would do is they would gather by a riverside and they would have a prayer meeting on the Sabbath day. So as Paul was going through the town, they were inquiring. Do you know anybody that goes out by the river on, on the Sabbath day? And of course, uh, that would have been what we call our Saturday and he probably got lots of, I have no idea what you're talking about. And finally, that little word want, W-O-N-T, uh, that simply means accustomed. That meant a place that was set aside or it was a place that was known for this prayer meeting. And so he went and there were only women going. And so they begin to speak to them just like they did in the synagogue. The reason being is the Jewish people had something that the Gentiles didn't. They had the Old Testament. They had the Scriptures. And there really, honestly and truly is no contradiction between the, method, the message of Jesus Christ and the Old Testament. Some people would like to find that. That's one of the things I like about the building we meet in. God gave us an old synagogue. Uh, there is no true contradiction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's one message. And so as Paul met these people, and, and honestly, this was just, we cover this in Sunday school uh, as we go through the book of Acts and are through the Bible time. But that was one of the reasons why Paul was able to go into a city and only be there for a few weeks and leave a church. 
was there was already people who were trained in the knowledge of the Bible. They just needed to understand that Jesus was their Messiah. They expressed faith in Jesus and they were able to continue their relationship with God without missing a step. These were trained people mature in their relationship with God already. That's why when Paul went to Ephesus and other places like that, he was there for three years trying to weed through all of the heathenisms and train people. And when we send missionaries to the foreign field, they don't start a church in a week. It takes sometimes years just to get people to understand the gospel message. And so that's what Paul was doing here with in Philippi. And uh, we have Lydia here who was actually not from Philippi, but Thyra, Tyra, she worshipped God. And the Bible tells us in verse 14, it says, And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. I guess since we're chasing some rabbits and just filling in some backgrounds, how many of you realize verse 15 is one of the strongest verses in the Bible that teaches pedio or baby baptism? Did anybody see that? But you read every commentary. This is one of the only threads that people who try to baptize baby can grasp at. Because it says Lydia and her household. But what was the prerequisite for Lydia getting baptized? The Lord opened her heart. I have a little experience with babies. Uh, They don't have an open heart. It's usually an open mouth. Wah, feed me. Uh, After they get talking a little bit, uh, or change me, or one of those things. You see, there's not a thread to grasp. And yet, If you read anybody defending the baptism of babies, this is is one of the strongest verses in the Bible. That's pretty sad now, isn't it? What we need to understand is, baptism is for believers. It is a physical sign, a physical testimony of a living relationship with God. Babies have no such testimony. Therefore, the Bible doesn't ask them. And uh, we don't have time to chase that whole thing out, but it's, it's not anything but a tradition of man. And so I figured we'd just uh, catch that one here. Now, verse 16 We have problems. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So let's, uh, let's, uh, uh, it never gives us her name. 
but she was possessed by a spirit of divination. Uh, that's why I often tell you when you see, uh, uh, I don't know if she's even still there. I don't keep track of this, but used to get cards all the time on 30th Avenue. Sister Deborah, she will tell all. And we used to tease our Deborah about that uh, every once in a while. Uh, but that's Susan. Most of it is fake. And if that person doesn't want to get sued, they'll, they'll have somewhere on any printed literature, uh, your fortune is told for entertainment purposes only. Uh, because if they tell you something and it doesn't happen and they tell you it's true, you could actually sue them. But be careful. There is a reality to some of this. A reality that no believer in Jesus Christ needs to be influenced by. Stay away from it. All of it. The fake stuff, why do you want to play with fake stuff? Why do you want to play with lies? The real stuff, that's what this woman had, is actually from the devil himself. And you need to be careful. And so, she brought her masters much gain by soothsaying she had a direct connection to the demonic underworld. And she followed Paul and us, as Luke is writing here, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, can any one of you find one problem with what she said? I want you to look closely in your text. Let, you know, let's work through this here. It says, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Now, was that true? Absolutely, 100%. There's nothing wrong with this. She is telling them that they are the, everyone who would listen. She was reaching a far greater audience than Paul ever reached at this point. Because everybody in the city knew her. And she said, these men are the servants of the Most High God. You know what she was actually saying? If we want to uh, exegete this a little bit. I'm not a servant of the Most High God. I'm a servant of the Lesser God. But these men, they serve the Most High God. Well, that's, that's pretty good stuff now, isn't it? Now, what's the rest of it? Which show unto us the way of salvation. Isn't that what Paul was trying to do? How many of you know what's wrong with the situation here? It wasn't the message. It was the messenger. Now, this will not happen, but if the devil himself walked in this room and told you something was true, how many of you would believe him? Any takers on that one? He said, there's got to be a lie somewhere, right? If you want to know the greatest work of the devil... It's not 
in the nightclubs and in the gay pride parades and all of these things where they, Mardi Gras and all that stuff where they just parade sin and put it on for a show. That's not the greatest work of the devil. The greatest work of the devil is when he's transformed as an angel of light. And it looks so good that you almost want to believe him. I mean, if I could give a modern day illustration, how many of you know who John Gotti was? If I brought an autographed letter in here to my friend Pete from John Gotti, how many of you would be impressed? You'd say, what's preacher been up to? Isn't that true? Paul was not going to allow the message of the gospel to be tainted or made equal to the message of a demon-possessed girl. You see, that's where the devil was really working. What is the old saying? If you can't beat them, join them. The only problem is if the devil joins you, you're no longer serving God. That's why in church we have to be so careful about what we allow. How many of you enjoyed the old hymns we sang before the preaching? You know why we don't sing any of the new songs? Because some of them have attachments. Not all of them, but some of them have attachments to things that I don't want to be attached to. I'll tell you what, there's no one going to mistake any of those hymns that we sung for any other kind of music that is out there. They are distinctively different. And Paul's message was distinctively different than anything out there. And this woman comes in who is possessed with the devil and she's trying to say, Oh, uh, it's, it, we all serve the same God. It's all the same message. These guys, they really have the truth. And Paul tried to ignore it. Verse 17, I mean 18, this she did many days. Did she many days? But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now again, this gives us the detail of how much time Paul had spent. He had been in the city of Philippi many days at this point. And, and they had a small group of people who were going back and forth to this riverside and praying and, and hearing the gospel preached. And this woman was following. And Paul put a stop to it. He said, we cannot allow the devil and his servants to join hands with the gospel. We can't have the soothsayers and the fortune tellers. You know, that's one of the reasons why somebody said, what kind of church is this? Well, we're an independent Baptist church. But, but we're also a separatist church. Because you can tell the difference by the characteristics. I've often used my brothers as an, my brother who is a preacher as an example. You say, I'd like to talk to 
Pastor Montoro, if my brother were visiting, well, which Pastor Montoro would you want? The pastor of Open Door Bible Baptist Church or the pastor of Pioneer Valley Bible Baptist Church? Uh, and uh, he said, I want the one that can bench press 400 pounds. Well, that's my brother, not me. Uh, I want the one that can fix things. That's me, not my brother. Uh, so there, there's differences. And if you really sit down and study the differences between the quote-unquote Jesus that different churches worship, you'll find they're entirely different people. And that's a terrifying thought. And But that is what man does, and that's exactly what the devil was trying to do here. The only problem was, in verse 19, And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. Now, you talk about Today's headlines. Different people, different city, same problems. Number one, money. Money is not the root of all evil. That's why I don't have an NIV. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. And guess what? You don't have to have money to love it. But it is the root of all evil. And these men, when they saw that their gain was gone because she could no longer do the things that this poor young woman did, they put Paul and Silas on trial. And they accused them. Ah, what's the next thing they pull? The race card. They're Jews. We're Romans. We can't do what they say and still be Romans. Therefore, they're evil. Now, how many of you have heard somebody talking that way? Only different groups of people. Still goes on all the time. Boy, you get in trouble when you name names like Al Sharpton. and Oops, I slipped. No, it didn't. When you name names like that, of people who use race to foment anger and hatred. Same devil, same tricks, isn't it? Hello? Yeah, it, it really is. And so now we have them, because they lost their money, they were angry and they're looking for any accusation Now look what happens here. And the multitude rose up together against him. Now everybody in the city was upset. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. Now you have to understand something. I'm going on a trip for a day and a half. Leaving Friday morning, be back Saturday night. And I'm going to take a suitcase. It's really dumb, isn't it? Well, I'm going to. Because I like to put on clean clothes. Do you know how much clothes the Apostle Paul and Silas were carrying with them? What they had on? A middle class person had one set of clothes. 
How many of you feel rich now? No, we don't. When they ripped their clothes, someone was going to have to go purchase something new so that they would be able to be seen in public again. And they beat them. This was not the Jewish beating of 40 stripes save one. This was a Roman beating where they beat you until they got tired of it. And Paul and Silas were beaten. They were cast into prison. And they charged the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 24, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So here they are, bloody, bleeding. How many of you know what's inside jails? And by the way, if they took you and made your feet fast in the stocks without getting too graphic here, uh, that meant you had no bathroom facilities. And the guys that were there before you didn't have them. And the guys that were there before them. How many of you are getting a little sick right now? Uh, that was the kind of situation that Paul and Silas were in. They couldn't move. And how many of you know what they did? They sang hymns to God. How many of you feel like singing hymns? Oh, I know. I must tell Jesus all of my sorrows. I don't think they were singing those kind of hymns. I think they were singing the kind of hymns that we were singing tonight. Not the same words, of course, but joyful hymns. Because they were giving praise to God. Now, were they some type of people who enjoyed torture and punishment? Absolutely not. They were men who enjoyed serving God. And they understood that their Savior had suffered much more than they ever did. And that he was not asking them an unreasonable price to suffer for his name's sake. And so Paul and Silas were singing, and the, the Bible says that the God sent an earthquake, and the prison doors were open. Now imagine that specific earthquake that just knocked the shackles out of the walls and off the prisoners and opened the doors. Now, that'd be a pretty cool earthquake, wouldn't it? Uh, because normally, if you had an earthquake that bad, the ceiling would have been falling in and doors falling out of the hinges and people buried in rubble. And But it was a very specific... Uh, uh, if you just indulge my imagination a moment, I, I think the Lord just sent some angels down there to scripturally rock the place. Amen? Uh, just shake things down, and I'm sure they enjoyed snapping the chains and opening up all the doors and having fun there, and then they took off. Total darkness, no electric lights. The jailer comes out to see what happened. And see, Rome had a neat little thing, is if you were the jailer and you let the prisoners escape, you served out their sentences. 
Now, how'd you like to be thrown back in the jail with all the people you threw in jail? It wouldn't be a very pleasant thing. And so the jailer decided he'd take care of that situation. He'd kill himself. Now, we don't know, but apparently Paul was close enough that he heard the jailer either say something or draw his sword. or And Paul calls to him from the center of the prison, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now, you know what that jailer saw? He saw that somebody he didn't care about, the only thing he cared about was they stood in the stocks. Somebody he didn't love, somebody he had treated harshly, was concerned about his life. Then he asked the greatest question it was ever asked. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now look what happens. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he in all his straight way. There's the second strongest passage talking about baby baptism. And if you can find a baby in there, please see me afterwards. Uh, I can't find one because babies don't believe first. Amen. It's just that simple. He brought them into his house. He set meat before them. And he rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul. Now, I love this. So here we have Paul and Silas sitting in the kitchen of the jail uh, of the jailkeeper, getting food and <coughs> excuse me, being treated for their wounds and having had a uh, having been baptized that night and added to the church at Philippi he comes in Paul Silas great news you've been set free and Paul goes oh wait a minute and the jailer's going what's what's wrong he said we're roman citizens And they've deprived us of all of our rights as citizens of Rome. Do you know that the magistrates could have all been put in prison and, and that entire, entire town censured for what they did? And when the Romans, they were very serious about this citizenship thing. This was early in the empire. This wasn't at the end where everybody was a citizen. Now, Paul had a purpose here. He said, you let the magistrates come and escort us out of the prison. Now, I'll tell you what, City Hall was full of fear. If this thing ever got out, there, were going to be, there was going to be blood on the floor. And it was going to be the magistrates. For allowing this travesty of justice to happen. Rome was a colony. I mean, Philippi was a colony of Rome. 
They had people there watching what was going on. If anything bad like this happened, there was going to be terrible repercussions. And so they were terrified. And guess where Paul went? Look in your Bible here. Verse 39, And they came and besought them, and they came and besought them and brought them out, desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered where? The house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. You know what Paul did? Say, guys, these are people that are identified with me. We have an open case that we're not going to deal with. But if you bother these people, we just might come back and deal with this case. You see, Paul wasn't afraid of his rights as a citizen. He was using this injustice against him to protect that church in its infant stages in Philippi. How many of you see that? Very simple, very profound, and very biblical. And so, what we have here is, Paul. someone said, why did Paul have to suffer these things? Well, how else was he going to get the gospel into the home of the jailer? I don't know of another way. You see, God's interested in saving souls. He's so interested in saving souls that sometimes his people have to suffer great injustice. It would be months before Paul and Silas would be able to walk pain-free. The scars from that beating they would carry to their grave. But God allowed them to suffer. And guess what? Paul said, Okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this suffering. And God used that suffering to have the jailer get saved and join the church and to bring protection to the church because as long as those magistrates were in power, they weren't messing with anybody connected with that guy because they didn't want him coming back. Because if he did, there were bad things that were going to happen all the way around. And so we see that God used all of this suffering in his first time, and it was just listed as many days to leave this infant church behind, enduring this suffering. And you, you wonder how Lydia and, and the jailer and all of these people felt as the Apostle Paul left when they got really thinking about all this thing. The only thing the Apostle Paul had tried to do was good, wasn't it? And yet he suffered greatly for it. I think that's one of the reasons that the Philippian church was one of the ones that gave to the Apostle Paul repeatedly. As he left, they sent offerings behind him early in his ministry when no one else was helping him. They were, and later on when he was in jail, in Rome, guess who was sending an offering to help Paul out? Not the same people. There was a love relationship that was built here that Paul was able to carry all of the days of his life. 
Amen. We go to Acts chapter 20, and you have Paul's next visit there. And the Bible doesn't tell us much about it. I mean, you just look there in um, uh, verse uh, uh, 1. Let's just read the first six verses or so. And after the uproar, this was at uh, Ephesus. Uh, after the uproar were ceased, Paul called unto the disciples and embraced them and departed to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he proposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, uh, Sopater, Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychius and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And we just uh, stop our reading right there. As Paul was going through this area, he visited, spent about three months going to different places. He found out that they were laying in wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria. And so he said, I'll just go back and visit the churches and went the other way and ended up at Troas and, and was there as he was sailing to Jerusalem. Those were Paul's times that he was physically present. Not a lot of time. But it was enough time. And because they loved the same Lord... They had a love for each other. I mean, how many of you wish we could spend more time with our missionaries? Uh, I think we had the Leadbetters here uh, like two or three times in the past 10, 12 years. And uh, Brother Ungry's only been here twice, and we've supported them almost as long. And some of our other missionaries, uh, actually some of them never visited our church. We took on Brother Warner as he was starting in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And he never came to visit, and he's too busy pastoring his church. He wrote us a letter. He doesn't need the support anymore. We'll give it somebody else. Amen? One of these days, we'll be able to spend time. But you know what we're supposed to be doing right now? The Lord's work. And so we need to be faithful where the Lord puts us. Faithful in suffering. This is the foundation. This is the testimony. This is the reason why Paul would write with such endearing terms as we go through the book of Philippians. And this is one of the reasons why the Philippians were attached. They didn't feel guilty because they had nothing to do with Paul's beating. But they loved a man who was willing to suffer on their behalf. And they had to love a man who was willing to use his personal suffering for their personal protection. Many of the churches were persecuted uh, relentlessly. Not the Philippian church. God took care of that. And so, as we look and prepare, we need to understand a few things. Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to find in this book is we're going to find doctrine. We're going to find reproof. We're going to find correction. We're going to find instruction in righteousness. Amen? 
we're going to find the very words that God breathed into the pen of the Apostle Paul preserved for us today in our good old-fashioned King James Bible. And I'll tell you, the words will encourage our church just as it did the Philippian church. And uh, we're going to take time and we're going to go through all those words. But what a story. What a history. The second time Paul was through, he probably went through Philippi going one way, and when he found trouble, went through Philippi going the other way. But that's just two or three fleeting times Paul was there. But he left the gospel, and that church grew and served the Lord. And Paul never let his suffering outweigh his desire to serve the Lord. Can we say amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before